Now batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Cubs Corner. My name is Anthony Pasquale, and as always, this episode is brought to you by Coach's Bar and Grill on the northwest side of Chicago. Recently on Grubhub, you don't even have to leave your house to get amazing Coach's Bar and Grill food, but if you want to, head out there. It's a great time located at 6169 North Northwest Highway. Today on the Cubs Corner, we welcome a very special guest, the voice of the Iowa Cubs, Alex Cohen. Thank you for joining us. Anthony, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So um, the Cubs convention is just passed. Chris Bryant's grievance just got settled. But before we get into a little bit more of the Cubs stuff, I want to talk about your career. How did you get involved with the Iowa Cubs? Uh, so I've been in minor league baseball for uh, just over a decade. Uh, I started broadcasting baseball in general when I was in college. I went to Indiana University. Uh, I was a journalism student and did student radio for four years. And actually, baseball was the last sport uh, that I ever broadcasted. So I started broadcasting in high school at Upper Dublin High School just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. My friends and I started the sports broadcasting club there, broadcasted football, hockey, lacrosse, field hockey, soccer, softball, you name it, but didn't do baseball because I played baseball at that time. And once the baseball Baseball career ended, the broadcast career started, broadcasted uh, games for the student radio station when I was in college, WIUX, Indiana University, and then started interning in minor league baseball first with the Lehigh Valley Iron Picks for two years when I was in college. Grew up outside Philadelphia, so Lehigh Valley was just a 35-minute drive from my house. Just worked all home games. Uh, then after my senior year of college, I worked for the Gateway Grizzlies, uh, which are an independent league team, frontier league team just outside of St. Louis. Then after that summer, uh, emailed every single minor league baseball team over a week-long span. Got a job with the Huntsville Stars, which at that point was a double-A affiliate for the Milwaukee Brewers. I was a broadcaster for them for two years. Then spent a season outside of broadcasting and worked in the media relations department for the Oakland Athletics. It was at that point where I realized I really like talking on a microphone uh, and got back into broadcasting, went over to Australia and worked for the Melbourne Aces of the Australian Baseball League that fall, came back, applied to a bunch of minor league baseball jobs, got a job, really started from the bottom, uh, rookie league with the Idaho Falls Chuckers. Pioneer League, uh, they're the single, or sorry, the Rookie League affiliate for the Kansas City Royals. I uh, was with them for a summer, then was with the Bowling Green Hot Rod single A affiliate for the Tampa Bay Rays for two summers, then saw that the Iowa Cubs job opened. I applied, interviewed a couple times, and then the no- November 2017, I got the Iowa Cubs job and I've been with them since. So it's been a topsy turvy way of my minor league baseball career, but it's been a lot of fun, seeing a lot of cool places, and checking all these stadiums off my list. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's been a definitely a busy decade for you, getting to go to a lot of different places to see baseball pretty much anywhere in the world. What's been the highlight of your career thus far? I have a couple. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to broadcast international baseball, uh, working for the WBSC, which is uh, World Baseball Softball Confederation. And this past fall, worked the Premier 12, which is an international baseball tournament that has worked as a qualifier for the 2020 Olympics. I was able to broadcast the gold medal game, which was 47,000 people in the Tokyo Dome. So that definitely got the adrenaline pumping there. Uh, then over the last two years, I've been able to broadcast uh, a couple 
Chicago Cubs spring training games in Arizona. So uh, just getting the taste of the big league action and then doing international baseball, those have been my top two highlights. But year after year, you just have some moments that really make you pinch yourself, whether it's with the Iowa Cubs on July 4th having their naturalization ceremony at 13,500 fans in the stands or Chris Bryant rehabbing it on a Monday night in August here at Principal Park, you get 10,000 fans. I mean, those are just some of the memories that, that really stick out to me that show why minor league baseball so special and you know like as you mentioned minor league baseball is very special i always um kind of see your tweets on twitter vouching for um broadcasters to get paid much like the players the way they deserve but um is your goal to stay in minor league baseball or do you have bigger sights ahead well, well, first of all with, with broadcaster pay it's really anybody who works in minor league baseball I mean, it's not just broadcasters, it's the sales associates, it's the corporate sales people, it is the promotions people, it's the community relations people, it's the media relations people. I mean, minor league baseball from April 5th to September 5th, I mean, these people are working, you know, 16 to 18 hours a day, and then sometimes they have to turn around after a night game to a day game, and they miss major holidays like Memorial Day with their family, July 4th with their family, Labor Day with their family, they're missing weddings, they're missing uh, family functions. They're missing birthdays. They're missing funerals. I mean, it's, you know, minor league baseball. I mean, this is the, the hardest working industry that I've really ever seen when it comes to people and hours and the time that they put in. So it's not just broadcasters. It's everybody else involved in the minor league baseball operation. For me, I mean, I love minor league baseball. I love being out here in Iowa. Uh, they've been so uh, nice and they've embraced me into their community. But, you know, my goal has always been to be a big league broadcaster. I mean, I grew up uh, being a big fan of the Philadelphia Phillies and and listening to Harry Callis basically every game. That being said, if the New York Mets or the Atlanta Braves call me tomorrow and say, hey, we want you to be our play-by-play broadcaster, I say, where do I sign and where do I get yeah. my tattoo? Yep. So, no, I, I just want to be a big league broadcaster. That's something that's always been uh, my goal since I was a little kid, and that's still something that I, I'm looking forward to hopefully doing at some point in my career. Yeah, best of luck to you with that. I know uh, I'm a little bit behind in terms of your experience, but that's also my goal. So maybe someday we'll both uh, be in the big leagues. Yeah, cross pass. That'd be nice. So of all the players that you've seen come through Iowa in your couple years there, which player looked the most big league ready or a guy that you thought that guy's going to be really good? I have a couple. Uh, I think that in 2018, before he suffered the oblique injury at Alzalive, was just so dominant. Uh, the fastball just popped out of his hand, 95, 96 miles per hour, late movement. Then when we saw him last year in 2019, before he made his big league appearance, the fastball was a tick lower, but his secondary stuff was just so much better, whether it was the spike curveball or the changeup. He has three legit big league pitches now whether it'll be a starter a long reliever or a back end of the bullpen guy i'm not sure but i you look at albert alzelaya and you look at just some of his performances that he put together here over the last two years they stick out to me as big league ready so he's one guy who was really at the forefront of my mind when you ask that question uh and then it's the Dylan Maples experience. Uh, you've seen Maples up in the big leagues, one outing, go walk two and give up a couple runs. The next will strike out the side on 10 pitches. And we've seen that from him the last two years here. His slider is probably the most dominant pitch that I've seen in minor league baseball working here for 10 years. And I'm talking about number one prospects. I'm talking about rehab guys. That pitch from Maples is the best pitch that I've seen 
in baseball as long as I've worked in it. So it's really impressive. And seeing a guy that can control that along with a 97 to 99 mile per hour fastball, if he can work those two into his arsenal and throw them for a strike uh, 70, 75% of the time, and that's the big question for Maples, but if he can do that, he's a legit back end of the bullpen, closer, all-star type of guy. So potential-wise, Maples, but in terms of big league-ready, big league stuff, uh, Adver Alzelaiwa was the other one to come up. So those are the two guys that, that really stick out to me. Yeah, you mentioned Mount Maples, and I think you tell the story of him really well. When we saw him come up last year, like you said, it'd be walk a couple of guys, get taken out, or strike out the side on like 10 pitches. He really does have that stuff. If he can figure out the command, Maples might be a, a big factor in the bullpen this year, I think. Well, I, I think that Maples shows at the minor league level he could strike out guys. I mean, regardless if his walks are a walk per inning, if you can strike out batters at a 15 batters per night or 18 batters per night, what he's been in the last two years, he, that doesn't fall off trees. You can't replace that. So it's just what he can do during the spring during spring training. If he can throw his slider for strikes on a regular basis and he can start off early in counts with his fastball, I think that one will start off in the big leagues, in the bullpen, and two, if he can continue that in April, in May, he can have a Rowan Wick type of ascent from you know really starting up in mop-up duty or sixth, seventh inning duty. Uh, he could be a back end of the bullpen guy when it's all said and done. Yeah, we'll keep our eyes on that for sure coming up. Um, with the amount of moves that the Cubs have made or haven't made this offseason, it seems like the Cubs are putting a lot of faith in Ian Happ to continue what he did towards the end of last season where he was only up with the Cubs for just a little bit. You actually saw him with the Iowa Cubs for the majority of the season. What What is your take on Ian Happ? Do you think he made some of those improvements ready for the big leagues or maybe not quite yet? Yeah, I've gone on record. I'm pretty pro-hap. Just seeing his work ethic when he was here for the three months last season, not moping because of his demotion. Well, when he went on a 12-game hitting streak and hit 366, then he didn't get called up. He he didn't complain. He didn't mope. He just got into the ballpark earlier and got to work. And offensively, I think his approach got better and better as the years were as the year went on and as the bats went on. But also defensively is where I think he made the most improvement. Going out there and getting reps in center field every single game. I mean, he, he's one of the better athletes that I've seen with the Iowa Cubs in two years. So him being able to have that defensive versatility, playing second base, playing the corner outfield positions, playing center field, playing third base, he can just do a little bit of everything. I think if he stayed in center, he, he wouldn't be a gold glove defender, but he'd be an above average defender. He can run. He has a decent arm. I think it's defense where he really started to get comfortable uh, during his second half of the sin in Iowa in 2019. Now the strikeouts decline, the pass in the PCL went up during the last month of the season as it got hotter. Uh, I think Hap, you play him 100, 120 games, you play him in center, give him a couple games at second, give him a couple games at third. He will not be the issue for the Cubs. Uh, I think that he'll go through stretches like he did at the end of August last year, like he did at the end of September last year, the last week of the season, where he was the National League Player of the Week. I think he can have weeks like that, but I also think he can have weeks where he's one for 11 with five strikeouts, but he'll also walk five times and he'll steal a couple bases. So uh, I think Hap is a productive player in the big leagues. Not sure if he's an all-star, but I think he's a productive player and somebody who could play 60, 70% of the games and give you a meaningful contribution. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. And I think a lot of people forget that towards the end of last season, when the Cubs fell out of the playoff hunt and 
all the news and the media was around Joe Madden staying or going, Ian Happ did lock up NL Player of the Week in the last week of the season. If he could keep that up, and like you said, maybe not be an all-star but be productive, I think that's exactly what the Cubs are looking for from Happ. Uh, I would completely agree. I, mean, I think there's a comp- there's a huge difference between being an all-star player and being a, uh, a replacement player or a slightly above average. I mean, I think that Hap can fall into that middle ground of just being a good Major League Baseball player. Somebody can give you quality at bat. Somebody that can hit at the top of the order. Somebody that can get on base despite the strikeouts. And what he does, he can steal bags. Uh, he's a good base runner. He can score runs and can hit for a little bit of power. Now, I don't think Ian Happ's going to be a 30 home run hitter. I don't think he's going to hit 300, but that doesn't mean that he can't be a productive MLB player, which I think he will. Yeah, I'm with you there. And, and when you take a look at the Cubs' top prospects, the guy at the top of all those lists is Nico Horner. Now, what many people don't know is when Addison Russell and Javier Baez were both hurt last year and Nico Horner came up, he actually skipped a full level of minor league baseball, that being AAA. So you've actually never seen Nico Horner at the AAA level do you expect to see him this year, or would you expect him on the MLB squad come opening day? You know, it really depends on what happens during spring training. Uh, much like in the situation of Hap last year, Ian Hap went to spring training 2019, and he struggled, which is why he came down here and got every day at bat. So if Nico Horner goes through an entire spring training, hits under 200, isn't seeing pitches well, well, he might come down here for the first month, two, three, and play every day, play some second, play some short, play some center, and really refine his approach at the play while also getting better at a multitude of defensive positions. Now, if he's in spring training and he hits 350 and he does play those positions well, well, there's no reason for him to you know, obviously come to Iowa and he would start the year of the big leagues. So I really think that what happens in Arizona for the next six weeks starting next week will be a big determining factor of whether Nico Horner comes to start the season in Iowa or if he's up in Chicago. Aside from Nico Horner, the Cubs had three prospects in MLB's top 100 list. Miguel Amaya, Brennan Davis, and Braylon Marquez. I don't know if you've seen any of those guys up at the AAA level yet, but what have you heard about some of those players? Yeah, I actually haven't seen any of them. Uh, first with Braylon Marquez, anytime that you can have a left-handed pitcher to throw 99 to 101 miles per hour and he's He's still in his teenage years. Uh, there's something to be said for that. It's just an explosive fastball, one that jumps out of his hand. Um, he's still young. He can still put on weight. And, and what I've heard from, especially at his time in Myrtle Beach in the second half of last year, his secondaries have gotten a lot better. So it will be a lot of fun to see how he does in spring training, whether he does get a non-roster invite or does get called up for a game, just to see if that exposure plays in spring training action. Uh, Brendan Davis... Uh, infielder out of high school who they drafted a couple of years ago, or should be an outfielder who they drafted a couple of years ago, long range. I mean, you look at his frame, he can gain 20, 25 pounds of muscle. This is a guy who could be a 25, 30 home run hitter, but right now, just pure smooth hitting stroke from what I've seen from the film. Uh, he's pretty impressive. Uh, and then Miguel Amaya, whenever you have a catcher who's 20, who calls the game well, strong arm, and can hit for power, uh, as I said before, I mean, that, that's a dime a dozen. I mean, you're not going to get many of those in baseball from a prospect perspective from a guy his age. So um, Miguel, first half of last year, but he struggled a little bit. And naturally, being a 19-year-old in the Carolina League, that will happen. But if you look at his metrics in the second half, the power, the plate discipline, it's starting to come. So uh, if, if he starts this year at Myrtle Beach, I wouldn't be alarmed. But if he starts this year in, in Tennessee, then 
it'll be really interesting to see how a 20-year-old, a catcher, uh, can really find his groove in double-A. So I think that'd be a big test for him. My next question for you is, who are some players that will likely start the year in, in Iowa or even double-A that some Cubs fans may know by the end of the year? Well, I think Zach Short is one of them. So Zach Short was placed onto the 40-man roster during this offseason. He began the year with Iowa last year, was hit by a pitch on the hand, much like Nico Horner last year, and missed some time, came back, then got dealt with another injury, and couldn't quite get into his normal groove. Short, uh, anywhere between a top 10 to 15 prospect in the Cubs system, he can run smooth in the field at short, uh, and he can really run. He's got some pop as well, so... Seeing him in AAA uh, with the quote-unquote juice baseballs for a prolonged period of time, if he doesn't get hurt and he puts it together, uh, I think Zach Short could be on the precipice of being in the big leagues, especially with that 26 man on the roster open in the big leagues this year. So Zach Short is the guy that sticks out to me in my mind. On the mound, probably Corey Abbott, uh, somebody who's worked his way through the Cubs system. And with every level he's gone to, he's gotten that much better. The strikeout numbers are up. The ERA is down. The walks are down. Just seems like a seasoned pitching prospect. Now comes here to Iowa and and, and A. Pacific Coast League, that's known as where pitchers' ERAs go to die. So see if he can withstand that process. And I'm telling you, if Corey Abbott can go to Salt Lake City in June and go to Las Vegas in June and put up some zeros and have a quality start type of outing, then you have to start thinking where he fits into the big league rotation. So Corey Abbott on the mound sticks out to me, and then Zach Short uh, at shortstop is somebody that sticks out to me as well. Yeah, we'll certainly keep our eyes open for that. And when you think about the Cubs from last year into this year, there's four major positions that kind of stick out as potential holes. Center field, second base, um, and a back end of the bullpen guy. And we've already answered that maybe Nico Horner could be that second baseman. Ian, Ian Happ might be that center fielder. And maybe a guy like Dylan Maples could come into the back end of the bullpen. The fourth position that I think seems wide open is the fifth starter behind you, Darvish, Kyle Hendricks, John Lester, and Jose Quintana. Many people expect Tyler Chatwood to be that guy, but there's been some other names swirling around that you know a little bit better than us. Do you think Alec Mills or Adbert Alzale are ready to do it, the fifth starter this year? Well, I think Alzale is, uh, just because of his pure stuff that he's shown here, uh, especially May, June last year, whether it was the fastball-curveball changeup combination that he had. If he can stay healthy, which is a big if at this point, then I think that he has the stuff to be the fifth starter. Alec Mills started off the year on the disabled list last year. Uh, he's got one of the better changeups that I've seen out of a starter in minor league baseball. Uh, Alec isn't a guy who's going to blow people away with his fastball, 87 to 91, maybe can top out at 92. But if he's in a good rhythm, he keeps hitters off balance. He's got that looping Ephus curveball that's anywhere between 68 and 63 miles per hour. Uh, so you combine that fastball, which backs up 88 to 91, as I said, with the changeup, with the curveball. He has the arsenal to be a good starting pitcher, durable. Somebody can give you five to six innings and keep you in ball games. So I think both of them are, are options for that fifth starter role. But financially, you pay Tyler Chatwood to this point to be the fifth starter, especially when you're a team that's up against the luxury tax. 
you want to get as much out of your contracts as possible. And I think Chatwood going every fifth day, uh, having control, not walking guys, and hopefully giving you five to six innings, that's your best option. Now, spring training, we'll see. If Tyler Chatwood comes back and his walks are up, maybe he has to go back to the bullpen. And then you see between Mills and Adver Alzelaya, then guys like Jarrell Cotton, who they signed from the Athletics. Uh, at one point, he was a top 100 prospect. Then he got Tommy John surgery, but he's got some really good stuff with a power splitter. Uh, just to see what happens in spring training this year, to see how that fifth spot will, will, will develop. Yeah, and Alex, USA Today Sports actually pegged the Cubs, I believe today, it might have been uh, yesterday, but they set the over-under for the Cubs at 82 wins this season. What do you expect, over or under? Anytime that you have a middle of the order of Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, and Wilson Contreras in a division that, with the Reds, they're still going to give up runs. They have the most hitter-friendly park in the National League outside of Coors Field. You have the Brewers, who haven't gotten better. You have the Cardinals, who have stayed the same. So it's not like the division has gotten significantly better. And when you can get those guys in the middle of the order, if they stay healthy, you're going to be competitive. So you said 82.5. I take the over. Um, I'm not allowed to bet on baseball, obviously. But if you're listening take the over on the Cubs. I, I think they'll be somewhere between 85 and 87 victories. And if, you know, come the trade deadline, they're playing well and they want to buy, they want to get an extra starter, they want to get a back end of the bullpen guy to help out with Craig Kimbrell, maybe Brandon Morrow, who signed a minor league deal with the Cubs, maybe he stays healthy, he gets up to the big leagues, he's that seventh or eighth inning guy. That's not something that you can count on, but Morrow does have a track record with that. So there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that have yet to be fit. Um, so I, I would probably take the over. I'm probably guessing around 87 wins for the Cubs. Yeah, I think I would have put my number at the same, definitely taking the over there. Um, and when you look at this team, you know, the moves don't really stick out, but Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer have made a ton of moves for um, low-risk, low-cost pitchers, and, and if the, any of those could start working and they can uh, fill in the puzzle pieces in the bullpen, this team could be even better than they were last year or the year before? Well, I think they just have to stay healthy. Uh, having a healthy Chris Bryant, if he's not traded for 150 games, 155 games, that's a huge deal. And keeping guys like Wilson Contreras not only healthy but also fresh. Anthony Rizzo, keeping him healthy, keeping him fresh. Javier Baez, I mean, he... I won't say he has a reckless type of play, but I mean, he's somebody who exposes his body uh, with every play. I mean, he plays 100% every time he steps out onto the diamond. So making sure that he stays healthy. You keep those four guys healthy. You keep Craig Kimbrell healthy. You keep the top three starters in your rotation healthy. I would think things with the Cubs uh, will be a little bit better than expected. Yeah, I agree with you, and, and that's about all the time we have for today on the Cubs Corner Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Alex. Best of luck to you this year with the Iowa Cubs, and hopefully we can chat soon. All right, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Cubs Corner. My name is Anthony Pasquale, and as always, you can catch this episode, previous episodes, and future episodes on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and the Cubs HQ website. But for now, thanks to Alex, and thank you for coming to the Cubs Corner.